0: With the Federal Reserve poised to slow down its rate hikes, at least temporarily, is it true that the economy is headed for a so-called soft landing? How healthy or how sick is U.S. capitalism? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We're very excited to have Professor Richard Wolff join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization, Democracy at Work, and the author of many books, the latest being, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. So, Professor Wolf, let's take a big picture look at the U.S. economy today. The business press, the economic news has been relatively upbeat lately based on some recently released data, based on the pace of Federal Reserve rate hikes or the anticipated pace of Federal Reserve rate hikes. People are talking about the prospect of this soft landing, which is what you know Jerome Powell and the managers of U.S. capitalism have long been going for, that there can be you know a recession, but a slight one. What do you think about this prospects i mean what's your overall takeaway
1: well to be honest even though i've been through this many times in my life i remain always amazed at the nonsensical ideological junk that flows out of the mouths and the pens and the computers of the people whose job it is to defend this economic system at all costs, to code it with every positive adjective they can think of, just to postpone the day when it all comes crashing down. So, let me look at the big picture as you put it, and put it in historical perspective. To celebrate the so-called soft landing that they hope will occur in the first half of this new year, to celebrate that is the equivalent of celebrating the following. You have just been hit by a car, you are arriving in injury and pain on the corner, and you notice that your left shoe, didn't become untied in this horrible event, and you're really grateful about it. This is not a sign that you are on top of the situation. It doesn't show us that you're in good mental health. It is actually a sign that not only have you been hit by a car, but your mental capabilities of coping are now in severe trouble. Let me explain. The Federal Reserve was established in the United States little over a hundred years ago with two particular objectives, one the most important, and that one is called a stable price system. In other words, to maintain price stability don't have prices cascading down, that's called a deflation, and don't have prices shooting up, that's called an inflation. What we are in right now, and what we have been in the last year and a half, two years, has been, and let's be clear about it, an enormous failure of the Federal Reserve to maintain price stability, which was its job. Number two, the Federal Reserve, is opposed to, as a way of maintaining price stability, utilize its power to raise and lower interest rates. And there are two things to say about that. Number one, the hope is you won't do it because you don't have the inflation that will require you to raise interest rates, if that's the way you want to deal with it. The Federal Reserve, instead of begging our forgiveness for having failed to do what its job is, namely maintaining price stability, wants us to celebrate that it's only been a year or so of rising interest rates with the corresponding hundreds of thousands if not millions of people who lost their job as a result of the higher interest rates. Not to talk about the horrible damage done to the American working class by the fact that the inflation the Federal Reserve failed to stop Not only a bad inflation causing all of our prices to go up, but in our economy was accompanied by a rise of wages half as big as the rise in prices. And you don't need a PhD in economics to understand If your wages go up 5 percent, but everything you have to spend those wages on goes up 10 percent, you're worse off than before the inflation began. Or to say the same thing the other way, the inflation is damaging your standard of living. And now we hear you're going to have to pay a higher interest rate on your credit card balance, on your mortgage, if that's a variable rate mortgage on your car payments, if you're looking to buy or refinance your car, on your college loan. I mean we are whacking the working class with the inflation and with the so-called remedy of rising interest rates to then ask us to celebrate that the rising interest rates hurting us may allow us to bring slowly the inflation rate back down is asking us to celebrate one failure on top of another. Last point in this little sad scenario. There was no need to raise interest rates. The Federal Reserve failed us again, by acting and here of course we have to notice that the Republican and Democratic Party leaders fell right in with the Federal Reserve as they usually do because these are all basically the same people. But they all fell in by suggesting that the only thing that could be done, should be done, and would be done to deal with the failure to stop an inflation was to raise interest rates. I have tried over the last several weeks in every public activity I engage in to explain to people a, just a little bit of American history to show how false it is to suggest that raising interest rates is the only, the obvious, the necessary way to deal with an inflation. And I can do it now again, and I shall. In August 15th of 1971, a conservative Republican president of this country, Richard M. Nixon, faced an inflation, even worse than the one we have now, but of the same order of magnitude. And here's what he did to solve the problem. Did he turn to the Federal Reserve? No. Did he arrange as a solution the raising of interest rates? No. He found a completely different solution and one which didn't push working people further behind the way the current Federal Reserve has done. Let me be clear with you, a Republican conservative found a way to respond to an inflation less damaging to the working class than the so-called friendly government of Joseph Biden. Here's what Nixon did. He declared on the 15th of August 1971, over radio and television, Hello dear Americans, I'm your president, and here's what I have to tell you. We have a bad inflation. I'm going to deal with it. Here's what's going to happen. As of tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, any business in this country that raises its prices one iota, where iota is a very small amount, any business that does that, we will come for you, we will arrest you, and we'll throw you in jail. Any worker or union that raises the wages or tries to, we will do the same. This policy was called a wage price freeze because it froze wages at what they were and prices. Now that doesn't put workers behind It keeps them up with prices because neither of them can go up anymore. That's much better for the working class than what we have just done, allowed an inflation of prices twice as much as wages, And then whacked the suffering working class with higher interest rates. That's not the only policy. It's not the one we followed the last time we had an inflation. It's not the policy that a Republican conservative president. It is shameful, and I'm using the politest word I can think of, to have handled the failure to prevent an inflation By raising interest rates. And this itself wouldn't even be that bad were it not for the last point here. We are coming off 40 years, roughly 1980 to roughly 2020, 40 years during which this economic system, capitalism, has systematically redistributed wealth from the bottom and the middle to the tippity top. We have levels of inequality in this country that remind people who know history of ancient Egypt and the pharaohs. We have people with one, two hundred billion dollars, and we have 20 percent of our children in the United States today characterized by our government as food insecure. We can't even, as a society, call things by their proper names. Food insecurity? That's called hunger everywhere else in the world. That's what we have achieved, inequality of a stunning sort. And then in 2020 we hit the American working class with another crash, the third one in this new century. And then before the pandemic and the crash were done with us, We get the inflation and now the rising interest rate. That's the story of the American capitalist system. For us to be fixated on the soft landing we might have, my god, what an exercise in mass media distracting from the truth of our actual situation.
0: Yeah, such an important point, such an important point. I mean, we were talking on this show not too long ago about the new report that came out by Oxfam that showed that since the year 2020, two-thirds of all new wealth created, two-thirds of all new wealth created since 2020 had been captured, gobbled up by the richest 1% of the global population. So certainly that process remains apace. Absolutely. Just getting back to the, the immediate situation right now, though, one euphemism that we're hearing more and more frequently from Federal Reserve officials, from you know economists on TV and the mainstream media, is this supposed problem of, quote unquote, labor market tightness. So of course, this is something we see in, in establishment capitalist economics a lot, the use of these euphemisms to hide what's actually very disturbing things that people are saying. So, I mean, just to start us off, I mean, what is labor market tightness? Why are they concerned about it?
1: Okay, there are a number of ways to get at this. Let's start this way. When inflations happen, like the one we're in now, that the Federal Reserve failed to prevent, the question arises in everybody's mind, and is a perfectly reasonable question, why did this happen? What is the cause of the inflation? And there it becomes popular for people to blame whoever they don't like anyway as though it were the cause. Inflations tend to happen when businesses raise prices. In fact, that's what an inflation is. People have to remember the mass of us, we don't set prices. Prices are determined by employers. If you've been an employee all your life, you will have noticed something. You're never called into a meeting whose agenda is, do we raise the price of what we produce in this business? Do we lower it? Do we keep it the same? The reason you have no experience of that is because that activity is limited to your employer. That's who sets prices. Maybe one, maybe two, at most three percent of our population could be called in any sense of the term, employers. The overwhelming mass majority of us are employees. So right off the bat you should suspect that if prices are going up it's because employers are raising them for the usual reasons that employers do everything to make more money. That's what they're in the business to do. The answer to every question, why are the employers doing it, is it's maximizing profit. Profit is their bottom line. You know why we know that? Because they tell us that, and there's no reason on this point to think that they're lying to us. That's what business schools teach, I have taught in them, that's what is taught in the business school. So when businesses do something, like raising prices, it's because they think it will be profitable for them to do so. However, they can't admit that publicly because then we would all do the logical thing, namely blame employers, the ones who raise the prices for having the inflation hit us the way it has. And we'd be quite right. But they don't want that. They don't want there to be a problem for them. We might decide not to buy all kinds of things because the prices have been raised as a response of the public to being abused in this way. No, they don't want that. So they need to find something else to blame for the inflation. And there are two popular candidates the government. That's always there for conservatives who want to blame everything that goes wrong in capitalism on the government in order to protect the capitalist system from criticism. But the final one, and this is your question, is to blame the workers. And here's how the logic goes. When the number of workers out of work is small, When there aren't therefore lots of unemployed people for capitalists to hire in their businesses, then the only way they can grow their business is by getting workers to leave wherever they have a job and come over to the one who wants to grow. And in order to get that to happen he has to offer higher wages. So there's your argument. When there's not a lot of unemployment, workers are in a position to demand and get rising wages, and then businesses having to pay higher wages, so the argument goes, raise their prices to recoup, when they sell the output, the extra money they had to give to the workers. So it's all the workers taking advantage of what is called a tight labor market. That simply means a labor market where there aren't a lot of people without work looking for it. So you have to pay people extra to move from their existing job to yours. That's all the word means. But it's mostly there to blame the worker for somehow leading to this rising price. It's not a serious argument, but it has its grain of truth. There's a memo circulating on the internet now from Janet Yellen, the current Secretary of the Treasury. Years ago, she writes a very typical memo. I've seen them all my life. It goes like this. Unemployment is a mechanism for disciplining the workforce. Her words. What does that mean? It means we need to have more unemployment because it discipline. It makes workers not demand higher wages because they can see in their neighborhoods on the way home what happens if you demand higher wages and your employer doesn't want to pay them? You're out of a job. And there are lots of those desperate unemployed people out there willing to take your job for even less than you're being paid now. In other words, Unemployment is the capitalist way to block workers from getting higher wages. It doesn't care whether those higher wages are deserved or not, whether you've been working well, whether you've been working hard, whether you've been working effectively. You want unemployment always to be there because it disciplines the working class. That's the voice of Janet Yellen and of all the others like her. Nobody should be fooled. If we didn't want to have unemployment, we could solve it overnight. There's plenty of work to be done. Let's put all the people who need and want a job to work. You know when we've had wars, like World War I and World War II, suddenly unemployment in America vanished. You know why? We took all the unemployed people, say in 1940, 41, 42, half of them were put in uniform and the other half were given jobs making the uniforms. And suddenly everybody had a job because we were committed to fight that war and not to lose it. If we had leaders who cared as much about peacetime as they do about war, and about what it means to people to have a job, have the self-respect, have the income, versus not, we would do what we've learned how to do in war in peacetime. But the problem is, if everybody's was working, then the capitalists who wanted to grow uh-huh, would have to win workers over to them from the jobs those workers already had. And the way to do that would be to offer higher wages, and that would eat into profits. So we don't have that. But don't be fooled by the language, the tight labor market, as if that's something that drops out of heaven. That is a purpose program, raising interest rates, Stop people from borrowing, stop them from spending, led to companies saying, oh, there's not much money out there to buy my stuff, lay off my workers, then re- replenish the unemployed army of the unemployed, as a great thinker once called them. Replenish that army, because every capitalist will benefit from big unemployment by not having to raise wages. And for those of you that understand that what I just said also is bad for capitalism, because if you have a lot of people unemployed, those folks can't buy your output. Well, then welcome. You understand it's a contradictory system. The very crushing down of workers' wages that you do because you make more profit undoes your business because the unemployed worker can't buy what the capitalists sell. It's a system running back and forth trying to cope with its own contradictions while always finding something other than the contradictory capitalist system to blame for its failures
0: you know just in our, our last 5 minutes or so here i mean let's talk about the alternative i mean right now we have an economic system that's essentially a dictatorship with no plan <laughs> and it seems obvious to me and to a whole lot of other people that instead society should democratically come up with a plan for what to do with the economy i mean like when you're going on a road trip for instance right you might think oh this is kind of complicated i should come up with a plan where am i going to stop this day where am i going to eat where am i going to stay i mean certainly the economy is like at least as consequential and complicated as going on a road trip, and yet there's no plan whatsoever for how to logically allocate resources such that everybody's needs are met and that, and that everybody has a job and that everybody has an income.
1: Well, that's because we allow there to be an intermediary, an intermediary between our needs as a people, food, clothing, shelter, education, entertainment, transportation, all of that on the one hand, and our capabilities to produce the goods and services that will meet those needs. Every rational society has to work that out somehow. It has to somehow decide. Otherwise, half of us would be uh, people who cut hair, and we don't need half our people to cut hair, right? It has to be organized. Otherwise, it's chaos. The only question is how a society organizes the work it can do to meet the needs that it has. The problem with capitalism always was the same, it's the same now. We insert an intermediary between the work that we need to do and the needs we need to get met. That intermediary is the capitalist enterprise, the workplace, which we have organized in this bizarre way that a tiny group of people at the top are busily maximizing profit. Their job is not meet society's needs. They don't care about that. They're working on their little business. Everything else is out of their view. They're trying to make their little business make a profit. Will they give a man or a woman a job? if it makes a profit. Will they buy inputs from China if it makes a profit? Will they cut some corners when they produce so the thing they produce wears out in three weeks instead of three years if it makes a profit? What we have is a system that maximizes profit. What we need and what we want and what we will suffer if we do not bring it to ourselves is a system that directly says we the people can figure out what our needs are, we the people can democratically figure out our capacity to work, and then we put it together into a workplace and an enterprise where the decisions, what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, and what to do with the revenue, are made democratically. One person, one vote. Not a tiny autocracy or dictatorship, as you put it at the top. You know, we thought we got rid of kings centuries ago. We didn't. They cleverly changed their names, and their names were no longer King, their name was CEO. And they went inside the enterprises, where they sit in the fanciest palace at the top, telling everybody else what to do, even though the system doesn't work for the majority of people. Getting rid of the kings was step one. Getting beyond the CEOs, that's the step we face now.
0: We're going to have to leave it right there. We've been joined by Professor Richard Wolff. He is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron. Today, if you enjoy listening to the show, you've been listening to the Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News.